The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. On every episode of the show, we are going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is what I am calling a medical superstar. I am so excited to have this guy on. Dr. Zach Bush is here. He is one of the few triple board certified physicians in the country with expertise in internal medicine, endocrinology and metabolism, and hospice and palliative care. And boy, does he have such an interesting story. The breakthrough science that Dr. Bush and his colleagues have delivered offer profound new insights into human health and longevity. In 2012, he discovered a family of carbon-based redox molecules made by bacteria. He and his team subsequently demonstrated that this communication network functions to compensate for something we're about to talk about, glyphosate, and many other dietary, chemical, and pharmaceutical toxins that disrupt our body's natural defense system. This has all led to the class of dietary supplements, including the product Restore, which I love, by the way, and use religiously. Dr. Bush points to his kids as the driving force behind his passion for change. He's fiercely motivated by a desire to have them experience a much brighter and healthier future. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bush. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, we are thrilled to have you on, and I want my audience to hear how you stumbled on this discovery. I know we talked about it recently in Dallas, but I want them to hear sort of what led you to understand this complex communication network that's taking place right literally down to the level of our cells and how our environment, including glyphosate, medications, toxins, how our environment is disrupting it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I was uh, left academia in 2010. I had uh, been uh, endocrinology on staff there and was doing my biochemistry and cell biology research in cancer and had started to develop a niche in the cancer industry of uh, researching something called apoptosis, which is programmed cell suicide of cancer cells, uh, which was being uh, activated by vitamin A compounds that I was utilizing. And so, I uh, was that was kind of my advent into a uh, deeper understanding of nutrition and its role in human health and disease. And so in that setting, I decided that uh, perhaps you know it was important to start looking at the root cause of this epidemic of cancer that had been rising since you know the early nineteen nineties. Uh, we had been on a very steep climb of our cancer rates throughout the country and throughout the developed world. And understanding those as a relationship to uh, nutrition was kind of a new paradigm that was starting to to be approached through a unique avenue at the time, which was something called the microbiome. Uh, this is the bacteria, the fungi, and the little microorganisms that mm-hmm. live in our gut. And you see a number of universities were starting to find that by sequencing the genetics of the microbiome of our intestines, they were finding huge correlations between uh, you know, missing species of bacteria or over overrepresentation of some species, which would then predict cancer in the human host. And this was so vastly outside of our current, you know, spe- spectrum or perspective on the pathophysiology of cancer that it was really demanding uh, a real paradigm shift in our our mentality or our thinking around human health and this cancer process. 
And so in that setting, I decided nutrition was the direction I wanted to go. And so I left uh, academia in 2010, started my own nutrition center in rural Virginia, trying to really develop a a nutrition program uh, that would be scalable in the country. So I started in one of the poor counties in Virginia and uh, a food desert there where there's really a lack of uh, access to good uh, nutrition through grocery stores. Uh, much of the population eating out of gas stations on a daily basis. And so that was kind of our testing grounds. And over those first couple of years, we found out that putting into practice, you know, some three or four decades worth of nutrition science wasn't working as the textbook suggested it would. And we had about a third of our patients that would respond beautifully and we'd see the reversal of diabetes and you know, obesity and chronic diseases like cancer starting to go into remission, all kinds of really beautiful, miraculous stories. But then there was a full third that was actually uh, not seeming to respond at all. And then another third that were actually getting sicker, not better on health food. Their inflammation would increase. All kinds of unexpected adverse outcomes from health food were occurring. They were actually tolerating processed food better than they were, you know, the healthy uh, nutrition that we were uh, hmm. teaching in the clinics. And it was that group that really kind of pushed us down this avenue of asking what's in the what's in the nutritional foods these days? Has the nutri- nutrient density changed in our vegetables and fruits? Has our you know intrinsic quality of the food decreased such that we're not seeing the health benefits that we once did? And is it possible there's something harmful in there? And that's when we kind of started diving into soil science. And that's where we made that discovery that you had mentioned earlier of these carbon molecules made by bacteria and fungi. And so it was really in this kind of failure of the nutrition system that pushed us down this avenue to start looking deeper than the plants. And it was kind of an awe-striking moment for me to realize that perhaps these 4,000, 5,000 years of Chinese medicine and herbalism and everything else that had kind of preceded our modern uh, pharmaceutical uh, efforts to look into the plant kingdom Perhaps we had been missing something much deeper, which was the soil itself carrying an intelligence and a medicinal quality to it. And so that was kind of that journey into that that kind of new perspective, if you will. So, so break it down for us. What is happening at the level of the soil? And then what does that mean for today's quote-unquote healthy foods, organic foods? You know, what what's the implication there? You know, we're all putting a lot of effort into try, trying to pick and eat healthier. You know, wellness is a massive movement. Diets are always on trend. There's always something that everyone's supposed to be eating. Do we just have it all wrong? What, what do we do if we're going down to the level of the soil and then trying to understand why the food today doesn't have the nutrient profile that it once had? Yeah, so there's a couple of factors that have really led to the massive depletion of our soils in this country and actually throughout the world now. Um, depleted soils are now account for probably more than 80%, uh, some accounts 95% of the uh, the land on earth uh, that's being farmed is now looking at depletion levels. And so that's a daunting number regardless of who's accurate on those numbers. Uh, but the level of soil depletion uh, that's occurred has been through two major mechanisms, one of which is actually an ancient technology, which is, of course, the plow. Uh, the plow is kind of our, our debut of what we think of modern farming. And in fact, if you read any Western civilization textbook, it was the beginning of 
Western Civ as we understand it. It was the moment where suddenly a single household could start to to farm a greater space and grow enough plants to support their neighbors or other part portions of the community. Uh, therefore, allowing others not to have to grow the food and to subspecialize into something else. And so that was uh, almost 950 years ago or something like that, the debut of the plow. It turns out that as uh, we kind of marched along with our uh, continued efforts to, to farm larger and larger swaths, that we became more and more dependent on the disruption of the soil through plowing. And by the eight, late 1800s, we had severely depleted and killed much of the topsoil in the United States, and that led to the Dust Bowl of the early 1900s. And mm. it was only through you know really aggressive efforts after World War II that we started to recover some of the, uh, the, the farmable land in the Midwest and everything else that had been buried under dust storms in the 1930s. And the way in which we did that has led to the second major problem, which is uh, overdependence on artificial inputs into the soil. Uh, mm. At the end of World War II, we uh, developed a huge glut of petroleum. The huge war machine settled down. We had been running the largest mechanized war on the planet between all of the developed nations there. And suddenly, with the end of the war, there was a marked decrease in uh, the demand. And so there was a huge glut of petroleum. And the industry turned its attention from transportation into uh, farming. Since we had all this dead, depleted soil coming out of the, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl, uh, instead of turning to ancient soil practices of you know, composting and crop mm-hmm. rotation and cover cropping, instead we, we started became dependent on this pharmaceutical approach to soil management through uh, petroleum-based fertilizers and ultimately herbicides and pesticides, these chemicals that would kill bugs and kill and kill uh, the weeds in the garden, we turned the entire process of farming into this kind of warfare mentality. Hmm. Things really revved up in the 1970s uh, coming out of Vietnam. Uh, there's a company called Monsanto that has become famous oh, yeah. now that had developed mm-hmm. you know chemicals for warfare, uh, namely things like Agent Orange, and we were defoliating the jungles of South Vietnam uh, to more effectively uh, wipe out uh, the Viet- Vietnamese and uh, other pathways there in Laos and Cambodia. We really turned the whole South Asia into a moonscape through the destruction of green plants uh, through these mm. chemicals. And then subsequently, with the end of that war, Monsanto finds itself without you know its driving uh, you know chemical company that had been driven through that war machine for almost three decades. Suddenly, there was uh, a need for a new marketplace. And being excellent at killing green things, uh, they ended up you know, developing a, a weed killer that would become Roundup. The active ingredient in that chemical has actually never been uh, patented as a weed killer. That active ingredient called glyphosate mm-hmm. is a chemical that was initially patented by a Japanese researcher in 1959, never put on the market. It was recognized to be a water-soluble toxin, which would have some scary implications on a planet that was 70% water. Nonetheless, Monsanto purchased that in the early 70s. They tried to initially develop it as a pipe cleaner for industrial sewer systems and drainage systems. They would uh, use this chemical to clear out mineral deposits along the pipes because it it chelates minerals very aggressively. It takes Mm -hmm. minerals out of any substance you put it in. And so in that journey, they found that it was effective pipe cleaner, but it was killing everything 
in the drainage ponds, and so they couldn't use it as a pipe cleaner because it was too environmentally injurious at the doses that were required to utilize as a pipe cleaner. But they did recognize its defoliating capacity, and it happened to be in the same family as Agent Orange. It's called an organophosphate. Mm-hmm. And so they started studying it as a weed killer, and that's uh, where in 1976 they would ultimately uh, patent it uh, not as a weed killer, but actually as an antimicrobial. And so it's been patented as an antibiotic, antifungal, antiparasite, all kinds of you know, organisms within the soil that it kills. It was thought to be safe to humans or, uh, because we don't actually have the enzyme pathway that it targets to kill life. And mm-hmm. so uh, for that reason, they kept saying that it was safe, but it turns out that enzyme pathway is exactly what makes the essential amino acids, those amino acids or building blocks for the proteins in our body that we can't produce ourselves. The vast majority of amino acids we can produce in our own human cells, but these essential amino acids we require to get from the bacteria, fungi, and plant life around us. And so bizarrely, we developed a chemical to spray our crops with that would block this enzyme pathway and and delete out the uh, building blocks or the alphabet of the protein synthesis that uh, is required for a healthy body. And so through these two massive mechanisms, which is overplowing or overdisking of the soil and disrupting the fungal elements over the last couple hundred years more aggressively every year, and then couple that with the constant spraying of chemicals that kills the microbiome within the soil, we've mm-hmm. literally depleted all of the nutrients out of that soil, and therefore we have a food system that's really deficient in delivering it, the, the life-giving nutrients and that age-old adage, let thy food be thy medicine, really isn't true anymore. Oh my gosh. So I didn't interrupt you for all of that because it is fascinating. And for everybody who's listening, I hope you followed all of that history and how we kind of got to where we are today. So now we've got this depleted soil. We have glyphosate in our system, which is a a toxin essentially. So I have so many questions, but I think one of them is, you know, as we now pick healthy fruits and vegetables that are now growing from the soil, what are we seeing with the micro and macronutrient profile of the crops coming from this type of soil compared to 50 years ago? What key Are there key minerals or nutrients that you see that we are chronically depleted in now, or is it just sort of global depletion because every food is not really what, what it is? Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, it's the latter. I think we're lacking nutrients across the board. You know, the only thing that really goes in in large amounts in our fertilizers and our chemicals we're pumping into these plants is nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And those will create a green plant, but it's a green plant that does not necessarily have all those you know, essential uh, building blocks for life. And then uh, in 1996, we debuted the genetically modified Roundup-ready crops, which allowed us mm-hmm. to not just kill our weeds with this chemical, but actually treat our very food that we eat with it. And so we started spraying corn, soybean, wheat, all that in the 1990s, and then subsequently things like you know sugar beets and uh, some of the grains out there, all of these now genetically modified to be able to be sprayed with Roundup. And uh, we're using it as a drying agent in many of our other foods, such as the legumes. So uh, things like lentils and other compounds have gotten a bad rap recently. Uh, one of my colleagues who's always preaching about leaky gut has uh, put a book out on the lectins, which are uh, mm-hmm. a, a group of nutrients in the uh, in the food. And unfortunately, he's now damned lectins, which are a really important part of uh, nutritional food. 
but he's recognizing that if people stop eating the lectin-carrying grains, they feel better. Um, and these things include uh, the legumes, which would be uh, the lentils and the chickpeas and the like. Well, it turns out that the reason why people feel poorly on those is because we're spraying them directly with Roundup now as a desiccant mm. and drying agent. It's the Roundup on that food that makes us feel poorly. It turns gotcha. out to be a very similar situation to the gluten sensitivity, which is yep. you know this phenomenon where we uh, spray the wheat with glyphosate to dry it quickly and harvest it faster and end up with glyphosate and gluten in the same bite of food, and we get this sensitization effect. And the gluten is kind of an innocent bystander here, and now we blame the gluten, uh, when in fact it's just because we're ingesting large amounts of the Roundup. And so not only are we missing all the nutrients as we kind of continue to deplete the soil, uh, nobody's really been taught in the farming industry for two generations now how to build healthy soil. And when I say nobody, that's not entirely accurate. There's certainly regenerative agriculture happening around the world, but it, it's less than you know two percent of all of the the farmed land in the in the developed world now. So, uh, for 98 percent of the industry, we're we're not taught how to get these nutrients back in, and we've become chemically dependent on inputs that are deficient and uh, these chemical controls, such as glyphosate, which is uh, you know adding the toxin, as you mentioned, into the food itself, creating bystander effects of a lot of these naturally occurring compounds. Wow. And then buying organic is not necessarily the solution, correct? Because the soil quality is still poor. So how does organic help us not help us? All of those questions and that I'm sure people are thinking to themselves. Sure. So organic is an important step in the right direction. It certainly is trying to get away from some of these dominant chemicals. Uh, but unfortunately, it's definitely uh, degraded over time. There are certainly you know, some standout, outstanding uh, companies and farms doing phenomenal work in regenerative agriculture and certified organic. And so you can't say that all organic is, is dysfunctional or not not healthy. But the vast majority, again, is using overtilling as their main tool and then using other chemical uh compounds that have been quote unquote you know approved by uh, the industry and that USDA label for organic continues to slide I think in its quality interestingly mm. not a single uh, one of the 30 uh, check boxes that you see on the organic certification has anything to do with nutrition and so there's not a single nutrient requirement there's not a single you know right. feed the soil quality and so really it's just about what not to do rather than what to do when it comes to, to, to healthy oh, management of so soil. Unfortunate. Is there anywhere in the world where soil quality is what it's supposed to be? Well, no, uh, the short answer is no, there is no, uh, you know, exceptional soil left on the planet in the sense that uh, we've added this water soluble toxin uh, to uh, all of our waterways. And so as we spray it on our fields, only about uh, less than 1% of that. Uh, a lot of people think that's about a thousandth of a percent of the uh, the chemical that's sprayed actually ends up on a weed uh, that would be its target, and the rest of it ends up either in our food or water systems. And in the water system, it can end up in a couple places, which includes the air we breathe, the so 75% of the air we breathe in especially in agricultural environments in the United States, is contaminated with Roundup. 75% of the rainfall is contaminated with Roundup. And so for these reasons, 
you know, we're pushing Roundup out into our oceans now. It's, we've got a dead zone at the end of the Mississippi River that's larger than the state of New Jersey. Um, we're just killing life wherever this chemical concentrates. Uh, we have the highest cancer rates in humans of anywhere in the developed world in the last 90 miles of that Mississippi River. And so this water-soluble toxin is, you know, now being carried not just down our rivers, but into our air, into our rainfall. And so the short answer is uh, we're really decimating the planet very quickly. Uh, we've got uh, an estimate currently that about t- every 20 minutes we lose a species to a- extinction on the planet now. We've killed about 40% of the biodiversity of planet Earth in the last 50 years, so we're about halfway done with this great extinction, and it's accelerating. And so a lot of people think that we may have only 60 or 70 years left to harvest any food on the planet, uh, which would kind of be the end of our species. And uh, we would take with it probably 90, 95% of life on Earth with us. And then the Earth would start over again. And we've seen great extinctions happen on the planet based on the fossil record before. But uh, to overstate the extremity of what we've created would be impossible at this point. Uh, We are really literally looking at the end of it. And so... Uh, we have to. We have two choices. We can either wake up and, you know, see what we're doing, acknowledge what we're doing, and learn from it as we, as we exit the planet, uh, so that hopefully in our, in our transition uh, to, you know, into the ethereal world or this <laughs> spiritual world wherever we go when we die, uh, we take that wisdom with us, or we take the next thirty years to change everything. And we ha- literally would have to change everything. We need to change the way we do transportation, the way we do oil and gas, the way we do energy uh, sector, the way we we do uh, our communication systems, the way that we consume products, the way that we produce products. You know, mm-hmm. All of this needs to transform over the next thirty years, which is an exciting opportunity in some ways. That you know we're simply repeating human behavior of thousands of years and our consumptive behavior. And we have an opportunity to rise as people. We could you know, literally get together and uh, recreate a different planet together uh, by focusing on uh, a design template for everything through education first. If we start teaching our children differently, they will create a different world for us. And uh, so, so really see our children as our last frontier. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and so many others talk about the coming extinction of the planet. And, and while the, many of us are focused on health and wellness, but I think in the medical field, we see what that coming extinction looks like with rising rates of cancer, autoimmune disease, autism, all of it. What can we do today? What do we need to be doing for tomorrow? If you could catch the ear of anybody listening today and you would say, please go do this one thing now and please work on the following, what would you say to them? Number one is get outside. Um, we have got to get our children outside. We've got to get ourselves outside. We need to start breathing whatever microbiome is left. We need to start getting in touch with uh, the soil. We need to start you know, really touching nature in every possible way we can. We need to start interacting with it and growing our own food again. We need to start taking back over our food production. At the end of World War II, we were growing 45% of our food chain in uh, our backyard gardens. Uh, Victory Gardens was the big push during World War II to feed the troops and uh, feed ourselves. And uh, then we then we lost that practice, and now we grow less than one-tenth of one percent of our food in our backyards. And so mm. we can simply take back over and participate in the natural uh, kingdom by growing food. 
And if that's just one plant in the window, grow a mint plant this winter. And uh, mint is one of those kind of irrepressible irrepressible plants. Once it's going, it, it can't be killed. And so uh, get a mint plant going in the home. And then this spring, you know, focus on really getting some uh, pots planted outdoors with some plants, if that's all you can handle, or start a small plot of garden in the yard, dig up whatever lawn you've got, start growing food. You know, it's just really think about how you can start to take back over some food independence and, and and participate in a revolution there. Number two would be get to know and support a farmer and help them make the jump from chemical farming into regenerative agriculture. Mm, Our farmers are ready to make the transition and uh, really ready to make that shift. And so uh, I've started a nonprofit that's uh, ready to start taking on funds in the next couple of weeks here. It's called Farmer's Footprint, and we are channeling $100 sponsorships for one acre of chemical farming to uh, pre-transition to regenerative agriculture. And for that $100, uh, we provide education to the farmers on how to make the transition. We provide them with uh, resources, uh, both uh, IT resources as well as uh, other hardware resources. And then we actually offer them ultimately uh, some safety net income uh, during their transition from chemical farming into regenerative agriculture. If we can convert a billion acres worldwide over the next 15 years, we will reverse climate change. We will reverse so many different elements of the toxicity we've done as the soil repairs. And so we can participate in the solution just as we are currently participating in the in the collapse. And so get to know a farmer, support farmers locally, your farmer's market, your CSA, find uh, the good uh, uh you know, nonprofits out there, Kiss the Ground is a great uh, source on, on the West Coast there. Um, and so lots of different areas of uh, support can be had. But if if you're not actively, pers- you know, in pursuit of support of planet Earth and you're not teaching kids to do the same, uh, then you're probably not in your purpose because uh, you showed up right now at the tipping point of humanity. Uh, we've been here 180,000 years. We've got 60 years left, and you showed up right now. So mm. it would suggest that your timing is such that uh, all of us have the opportunity to step into uh, this co-creative process and be part of the solution. And so seek that out in your life, some shape or form. And not, not any two people need to support it in the same fashion. So be creative in the ways in which you can think of to support planet Earth. Uh, we've got initiatives, initiatives, clean up the plastics of the ocean, and clean, you know, stop putting plastic into the ocean, period. Uh, be a big step there. So lots of different initiatives you can look into around the world. Uh, but get proactive and be part of that solution and get excited that this is going to be not just a change in technology and a change in mindset, I think we have an opportunity to rise in consciousness. You know, we can actually see ourselves not as this ice, I mean, this kind of independent, uh, you know, Homo Deus type Homo mm-hmm. species that's claimed ourselves as godlike. We're actually integrated into a large ecosystem, and that ecosystem is here for our health, for our life, and to help us rise to understand this concept of kind of singularity within our creation, singularity within our nature. Uh, we are here to participate, not to dominate. And so that's you know, an opportunity that I think can be seized as you look for your purpose to support planet Earth here. Oh, my gosh. Beautifully said. I don't think I could have said it any better. Get involved. Get proactive. Let's support our planet. And ultimately, we're really making sure that we are healthier and raising not only our health, but our consciousness, protecting our children who 
as Dr. Bush and I both know, are suffering tremendously today with diseases and conditions that are unprecedented. Dr. Bush, I don't want to leave you without talking about Restore because you know I'm a personal fan of Restore. I love it. I feel like it's been a game changer for me. Talk a little bit about Restore and that product line, and um, I'll, I'll let you know how I'm using it. How's that? Sounds good. Yeah, so this this is a, a line of uh, products that has come out of our research from 2012 on uh, as we've studied the microbiome and its communication network, we have found that there's you know this whole world beyond probiotics, beyond prebiotics. Instead of trying to micromanage the microbiome with something like a probiotic or a prebiotic, we instead you know have isolated that communication network between the the species uh, that coordinate our response to the environment, coordinate our response to the need for repair, regeneration, whatever it is. It's very much like your cell phone. Your cell phone has a, a small transmitter and receiver in there. It's capable of talking to people all over the world until you're about seven miles from the closest cell phone tower, and then suddenly you lose that signal. Uh, in our bodies right now, the cells are experiencing that cell phone loss of the wireless communication network. The wireless communication network, bizarrely, is not made by the human cells, but instead largely by the microbiome. And that was our discovery in 2012, that by utilizing that communication network in human cellular environments, we could see extraordinary shift in our understanding of healing and longevity in all types of different cells, kidney cells, intestinal cells. But importantly, it's not just the insides of the cells that go into a repair process. It's actually what we call the extracellular matrix. It's the scaffolding around the cells that uh, is most strongly supported and uh, monitored by this uh, wireless communication network from the microbiome. And so as we put this into practice, there's lots of different immediate impacts that the body goes into. Number one is redefining your boundaries. All of us, as we're faced with a collapse of the microbiome through our, our uh, farming practices, through the food industry, uh, we use about five times more antibiotics in our animals than we do in humans. But even our human consumption in the United States of antibiotics from our doctors has gotten extreme. Uh, we, we consume about 833 prescriptions for every 1,000 man, women, and child in the United States. So 833 prescriptions would be 83% of the entire population likely to be exposed to an antibiotic in a given year. And so those kinds of daunting numbers are uh, you know, compounded then by the farming practices. And so really, we're, we're facing this complete collapse of microbiome, which then leads to a complete collapse of that extracellular matrix that's maintained or uh, kind of directed by that communication network. And so what we see is leak. You get leaky membranes uh, across mm -hmm. the gut, the small intestine, the colon, your sinus membranes, and then the endothelial of your blood vessel starts to leak. And so your blood-brain barrier uh, your, that protects all your peripherals, your central nervous system of the brain, and then your kidney tubules, uh, your whole detox pathway, where you're supposed to pee out your toxins and, and the metabolites of your cells, all of these systems are breaking down due to this profound leak as the Velcro between the cells starts to fall apart. And of course, we find that Roundup is a very potent direct toxin, not only through eliminating the microbiome, their communication network that would protect us, but then by being a direct toxin to that Velcro. And so glyphosate, we really see as the, the perfect one-two punch to human biology and then biology on the planet, where it's eliminating the workforce of the microbiome and then directly degrading our boundaries. We literally are losing the self-identity of the human at the cellular level. 
And this is where our immune system goes into chronic overload, and we developed autoimmune disease. And so autoimmunity is a process where the human immune system starts to see the human body as a foreign invader, and we attack the thyroid gland or the pancreas or our joint spaces or whatever tissue it may be, and we're destroying uh, this space within our bodies, mistaking it for foreign material. And so literally our self-identity is is diminishing as we lose these boundary events. And so Restore has been a phenomenal journey in understanding that if we put back in the communication network, we get this massive natural response from the human cells, which is restorative. And so uh, the Restore itself is doing nothing on its own. It doesn't make, doesn't have proteins that fix anything. It doesn't have enzymes. It doesn't have vitamins. It's not there to do anything. It's a passive communication network to invigorate the natural intelligence and innate uh, health that's in every cell of your body. And so by just turning that back on, we get to see all kinds of extraordinary things happen. Under the microscope, within minutes, we see our improvement in function of the mitochondria inside of our cells. We see rapid production of protein from the, the human nucleus to go out and start rebuilding the extracellular matrix and the Velcro-type junctions that hold everything together. We get all of this happening within such a short amount of time that's really defying our previous understanding of how a repair process might might function. And so it's been a very exciting thing to not only see the repair kick in, but the amount of resilience that the human body is capable of when it has unfettered access to this information through the communication network. And so what we're seeing now is that if we treat a cell membrane like the small intestine or a colon barrier system with the Restore, we can then expose it to lots of different environmental toxins, pharmaceutical compounds, uh, but but Roundup being the big one, you can take that to 20,000 times the amount you would see in your diet, and you see the human cells continue to do uh, repair at a rate much more rapid than the damage would occur. And so, again, it's not the restore doing it. It's actually the human cells, which makes it such a fascinating thing to work with clinically and in the lab. To see the human cells invigorated, empowered into this process is just stunning. Wow. Well, I know just personally and then even through patients that, you know, we've seen uh, mood stabilize. I've had energy for travel and all the crazy travel I've been doing over the last few weeks. Um, just some really remarkable things. And I'm excited to continue using it and getting like a little piece of your brain in a bottle is how I feel is how I feel about it. So I think it's amazing. <laughs> uh, Dr. Bush, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us today. If, you know, you've You've talked a lot about a lot of interesting topics. I'm sure people are going to have questions. If they want to reach out to you, what is the best way to connect with you? My education website is ZachBushMD.com. That's Z-A-C-H-B-U-S-H-M-D.com. I have lots of uh, other podcasts and lectures and science content there. Uh, dive in there. The Restore product is available at the website uh, www.restore4life.com. Uh, also linking to the Zach Bush uh, website if you can't find it uh, there. You can't write that down fast enough. Uh, but ZachBushMD.com will get you to about just about everything that happens in my brain. <laughs> Love it. And there's a lot, guys. So get ready. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness. If you have questions about today's show, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Taz MD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Until next time.